As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Three, two, one, zero. Hello. Welcome to... Episode 114. Thomas Minter. Hey Money Clan, a very warm welcome to the Chain of Wealth podcast. I'm your host, Dennis O'Brien. And I'm Katie Walsh. So Katie, today we're chatting with Thomas and I had such a fun time getting to know him and chat with him. And I also ran into him at FinCon on the first night. No way, really? Yes, such a cool dude. Super, super down to earth. We had such a great time and our conversation's really great in this podcast as well. We chat about all about living in an expensive city. Oh, that struggle is intense. Kate, I think it's also a struggle that a lot of people can relate to. You know, a lot of people are living in these expensive cities and it's tough. It is tough. And I feel like people are put in this conundrum where if you want to make a lot of money, especially in your early 30s, late 20s, you have to live in these expensive cities. So it's kind of like a catch-22. Yeah, and we'll dive right into that in the episode. So if you guys want to join us, head on over to chainofwealth.com slash group. There you can join our Facebook group and community of like-minded people looking to achieve financial greatness. All right, Kate, are you ready to dive right into our interview? Yeah. Awesome. Let's do it. Welcome to Chain of Wealth. Here's your host, Dennis, inspiring you to begin your journey of financial freedom. Thomas Minter is a 33-year-old millennial DINK, which is double income, no kids, 
living in an expensive city. His fiance and he work hard earning a solid living. They started their blog, The City for Millennials, as a platform for urban dwelling up-and-comers to discuss ways to do more, make more, and spend less in expensive cities. Welcome, Thomas. Hey, Thomas. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And I will say, um, I just got married a few weeks ago, and I need to update my blog. I'm so excited, but with the honeymoon and everything, things have been crazy. So uh, my wife and I are are new, happy, uh, um, and married. It's unacceptable, man. You shouldn't neglect your blog like <laughs> yeah, that. Get on top yeah. of it, Thomas. <laughs> where have you been? It's like you've been yeah. like traveling around all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so where did you guys go on your honeymoon? Oh, so Italy is an amazing country. Uh, we spent two weeks there. Um, food, everyone says the food's incredible. It's true. But really, the food is absolutely incredible. We brought some home. Um, I feel better uh, just eating um, Italian food. So we're going to continue doing that throughout our, uh, <laughs> our evenings at home. So... I have I haven't been to Italy. Uh Den, you have though, haven't you? I have, yeah. You've been everywhere. Um, but I hear a lot of times that the food is like a little bit disappointing in Italy. Did you have the same experience? Oh my gosh, don't believe them. Really? No, um, <laughs> so we were biking through Tuscany. It's a, a agricultural uh, and wine region. Um, tons of uh, historic castles and lots of farmlands. Um, the food there I thought was, was insane. Uh, and we uh, ventured up north to Cinque Terre, and they have um, this pesto, which is to die for. So strongly recommend visiting. Uh, if not for the food, uh, then go for the history. It's it's great. Well, I guess I'll just have to put that on my uh, ongoing list. <laughs> Never-ending list. <laughs> so can we talk a little bit about student loans? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's do it. Right. Those- I, don't worry. I have like the same reaction. Dive right in, Katie. <laughs> when, when student loans <laughs> come up, I'm like, oh, yeah, those. So when you finished school, you had $80,000 in student loan debt, which is a lot of money. But you're able to pay it off in three years. So I have a ton of questions for you. So w- to give a little perspective of the first job you had, you were earning how much? Forty thousand? Did I? Earn? It was forty thousand. They offered me thirty-eight thousand. Uh, it was at the heat or just the onset of the Great Recession. Um, I negotiated for two thousand more. I should have uh, asked for more than that, but I, I probably wouldn't have been given it. Um, it. I was lucky just to have a job. So yeah, it was forty thousand dollars starting salary. Um, for perspective or relativity, I was living in the southeast. Things are a little cheaper there. Um, so yeah, forty thousand. So- so I'm curious, how did how are you able to pay off eighty thousand um, dollars on that kind of a salary? Well, yeah, uh, it's a good question. Um, first, I don't think you can pay it off on that salary. I had to increase my income streams. Um, but you know, when I, I first started uh, that job um, and I got my first, I received my first loan bill, I was absolutely shocked and decided um, that I needed to uh, get serious and pay it back. Um, I think the first bill was $800 uh, my first week on the job. Um, and I hadn't even received my first paycheck and I was, um, I was really scared. 
Um, so I started asking questions at work about how to first increase my uh, my salary at work, uh, what I would need to do, what is the job trajectory, um, and is there any opportunity to work overtime or um, travel? And they said, absolutely. Um, uh, we love your, your can-do attitude. Um, in fact, do you want to go to Texas uh, tomorrow to respond to an oil spill? We'll pay you per diem, um, increase your salary. I said, absolutely. So I, I looked at ways to right off the bat increase my um, my earnings uh, for my job. Um, after that, uh, I was ended up doing a lot of traveling, and that's how I was increasing that um, uh, salary from from uh, my job. Um, and so my rental, or I had a apartment that I was never in, but spending rent rent on, and I decided, hey, this is a great opportunity to sublease that and essentially zero out that cost. So that saved me some extra money. That was about seven hundred dollars a month of savings, and that I put directly to the loans. Ultimately, um, I worked overseas and um, I was able to um, decrease my tax liability um, when you are an American living overseas for and you are staying um, out of the U.S. for a certain amount of days. I think it's 335 days a year. Um, there's ways to um, exclude up to, at the time, it was $95,000 of salary. Um, so on that lower salary was essentially uh, state and federal tax um, free. So I was able to reduce the tax liability, increase revenue streams um, uh, through, I guess, essentially house hacking, um, and then increase my salary at work. And I was just dedicated. I spent every last um, penny on on paying down the loans, uh, live frugally. um, And I was able to increase salary pretty quickly because of my, um, I'd say, can-do, enthusiastic, I'll go anywhere. Um, in in that second year, I increased to over $100,000 a year. So it was very holy quick. Holy moly. Yeah, it was, it was, it was lucky. Um, but I, I really went all in and uh, made the conscious decision to pay it back as fast as possible. So real quick, I have two, I have one question and then one comment slash compliment. What, <laughs> what, um, what field are you in? So uh, by training, I went to uh, grad school in North Carolina uh, for environmental management with a coastal ecosystem background. So ways to um, protect the coastline uh, and ensure its um, sustainability. Uh, And it turned into an amazing opportunity work-wise to um, clean up coasts uh, that were impacted by oil spills, whether that oil spill was... um, uh, ongoing, the Deepwater Horizon, for example, um, or long-term impacts from oil spills decades ago, such as the oil spill on Saudi Arabia, uh, a result of the Gulf War oil, uh, the Gulf War. Um, so I was over in Saudi for um, three years. Wow, that's really a interesting and very rewarding job, I would imagine. It was, um, yeah. I, <laughs> Two weeks after I went to Texas, uh, which was, I was sent there the first week on my job, they asked me to go down to Haiti after the earthquake. Uh, (laughs) That was uh, a really rewarding experience working for a USAID um, program, um, which really uh, connected me um, to um, the people and and, uh, protecting society and the environments. We're all one ecosystem. I really um, believe that. And um, it it was was some of the most rewarding um, um, times in my career. 
Yeah. So a quick caveat then, because now I'm really um, interested. There was that huge oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. And I know this because I'm from Tampa and it was affecting all of our beaches. It was a nightmare. Did you do it any was. work um, on that one? I did. I was um, stationed initially in Louisiana um, and then just outside of New Orleans. And I went to New Orleans and then I was in Mobile, Alabama, and then ultimately in Gulfport, Mississippi. Um, and I spent a, uh, across two years walking shorelines in boats, uh, trudging through marshes, identifying the impacts of the oil and developing ways to remove that, um, that oil in the least um, impactful way to the coast. So um, developing strategies to clean the oil um, quickly, effectively, without impact to uh, birds and turtles and, and other uh, um, animals part of the ecosystem. That is so cool. Um, I immediately just feel like you should probably use Dawn dish soap all the time. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, they have that commercial where they clean the duck. They do. That's such a good, such a good marketing for them. Right. Um, well, and then my compliment is that it must have really taken a lot of willpower to be in all those foreign countries and not spend any of your money and stay yeah. dedicated to paying off your loan. That I think is to a whole new level of dedication. So good job for you. Well, it was uh, sort of right in my face, uh, getting these bills each month. And I wish, so I, I, I paid that off and I wish that I um, really focused afterwards because I, I decided, oh, hey, I paid off my loans. Now I'm going to uh, party and, and spend my money. And what I should have done in retrospect is uh, opened up a, um, after, or, you know, I've already had my 401k maxed out, but afterwards set up a after-tax uh, accounts and really started um, um, investing. I didn't do that early enough. So shame on me. But yeah, I was dedicated on the loans. Yeah, <laughs> but you also have to live laugh a little way. bit as well. <laughs> it's yeah, impossible to a- always go 110% like all the time. Like you still have to like appreciate life and like live life a little bit. So I completely understand that. Absolutely. It's about the journey. Sometimes I forget that. <laughs> it really is. So I'm sure with your blog, you see a ton of people that, or specifically millennials, that spend a lot of money. And I, I say spend, and I think I could say waste even. So what, what would you say that is one of the ways that millennials can, can come back? And what would you say is one of the biggest things that you see people wasting their money on? Sure. So the biggest expense for most people and, and millennials in particular is, is housing. So if you're living in an expensive city, you're maybe making um, more at work, but you're spending likely a lot more on your housing. Um, and some people, especially, now I'm, I live in the, uh, the Bay Area, so there's, there's a lot of people who work in tech uh, right out of school. They're making fairly decent um, salaries, and they think that it's uh, an appropriate thing to spend 50%, 60% of their income on a really nice uh, uh, one-bedroom, two-bedroom um, on Russian Hill overlooking the water uh, in San Francisco. Um, that's great. Sure, maybe you could afford it, but you're not going to get ahead financially. So I, I do consider that a waste of money. Um, and ways to avoid that is, you know, living like a, you were a college student uh, for a couple of more years while you're um, saving your money, investing it, investing in your future. Um, you know, in, in, in cities, it's silly to have well, a expensive vehicle. You got to 
rethink how your transportation, uh, rethink your transportation options. So, um, owning a car, uh, may not be a need per se. Um, my first three years in the Bay area, I lived, uh, carless, um, which was great. It saved me a lot of money, but it, it does pose some challenges. So there, there are, there are, um, ways to balance it and maybe it's getting used cars. So reducing your housing costs, reducing your transportation costs are, um, my, my takeaways for, for that question. We've actually gone car free for about two years up here in DC. Oh, well, and hold hold on, you went. <laughs> okay, I went car free for two years. <laughs> sort of. Um, I moved up a little over a year ago. We sold my car in November, and then I just got a new job that is a mile away from the metro station. And let me tell you, that mile is really far. <laughs> it is so absolutely when it when it's like. <laughs> Along like highways and everything, it's not doable. And it was like an hour and a half commute via metro. Yeah. So, and teachers have to be in before the crack of dawn anyway. So, we just went and got a car, but we did get a new car and it's super gas efficient. So, but we can definitely feel you on the living expenses and everything. I did the calculation and um, I, I took a lot of Uber and Lyft rides those few years. And on an uh, annual basis, I, I spent uh, $2,000 less than if I had a, um, a loan on a, on a vehicle. So I, I was saving money, but you are having to put your life at, at risk at another person's hand driving you. you there, there are challenges associated with that, without having the car, but uh, you, you do save money. Uh, it's great that you're looking at gas efficiency. Um, there's a lot of uh, ways in the Bay Area, at least. I don't know if DC has these um, solutions to micro commutes. Um, you see a lot of these, and I think they're very annoying, but the uh, the Lime um, scooters or the, <laughs> uh, uh, the Bird scooters, they're yeah. everywhere now, but it, it is solving um, a problem. And that's the, hey, I live a mile away from the metro stop. Um, and it's a, a mile is kind of too far to walk when you're trying to get somewhere efficiently and maybe you don't want to leave your bicycle locked up at a, a, a public place to get um, uh, stolen. Uh, so these Lime uh, scooters are solving a problem, I think, at least in the millennial uh, generation to um, to get to public transit. Uh, hopefully not removing public transit in, in their equation, but getting to it. Right. No, I can definitely see that. We have both scooters here in D.C. too and um, I don't find them so annoying, but they are definitely, it's, a, it's an interesting business model, I think. It, it really is. I'm fascinated. Um, you know, maybe I'm jumping ahead here in um, this, this podcast, but I see this as a, a huge potential for side hustlers, uh, these, um, these scooters. Uh, there's ways to make money by charging them. Um, and I, I find this very fascinating. There's a lot of people interested. And I wrote a, a post actually about this and I'm immediately ranking, um, in Google. I'm surprised. It's like, wow, people are really interested in, in making money off of these, um, these scooters. So I did more research and there's, there's really great ways to, um, collect them in mass, uh, charge them and deliver them the next day and make, uh, some good money afterwards. Yeah. So Thomas, can I tell you a secret? Tell me. Were bird chargers. 
Oh, no way. This is great. <laughs> we love- and I'm a lawn charger. This is great. <laughs> we, we, we should compare love, notes. <laughs> we yeah. love side hustles. And um, whenever we're just like kind of sitting around at home, not really doing anything, we'll be like, eh, let's go bird hunting. And <laughs> where, where we live is like a common area to bird around. So yeah, a lot of yeah. times, like we don't even leave our neighborhood. And then where Dennis works, we carpool in in the morning together. And where he works, there's a nest or a drop-off station, right. like right there. So it's pure profit and like really no annoyance. Absolutely. And this is, you know, you live in a, a city downtown in, a, in an area where this is very popular. I, I do as well in Oakland. Um, people probably could resonate with that, that, oh, hey, there's a bird or there's a lime right outside my window right now. It's past nine o'clock. I can just literally walk outside, grab it, charge it, and then deliver it on my way to work the next morning. Right? It's amazing. We've actually yeah. done that before. Like on a Friday night, we like, will occasionally turn it on. It's like, oh, there's one right downstairs. I'll go grab it. You make the popcorn. <laughs> exactly. And it, it's... Um, it varies city by city, but you know, per scooter, you could, I, we're, we're getting around $12 per scooter. You got to look at the cost of uh, electricity to charge them. But if you're living in a complex that has a, an outlet in your garage, who, who's paying for that electricity? Well, <laughs> not me. We've thought about like <laughs> wishing we could live like with a hall outlet yeah. right by our door like man i wish we would have gotten that apartment we could have just snaked it right on through but exactly we're in the middle so <laughs> not, not so much luck well so then you can really um because you are out in california and we're in dc i assume that the housing prices are astronomical where you are as well Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, it, it, it hasn't decreased since I w- I've been here. Um, I, uh, am, I'm afraid that it could either crash completely or just continue to go up and up. <laughs> yeah. So what is your take? Because we have been, you know, looking at housing prices and everything and we're savers and we're really, we try to be like on top of it and everything. And what is your take? Because it just seems like it's so hard for millennials, especially in bigger cities, to become homeowners. Sure. Well, you know, the solution has to be right for you. But um, really what your goal is, is to reduce your housing cost. And I, I like to recommend to my peers trying to get down to the 25% of your income uh, range. And maybe that's renting. Maybe you find a place in a uh, rent controlled district. Maybe DC isn't, doesn't have them. Uh, parts of California do um, where your rent isn't going to increase more than 1% a year. Um, and some people uh, can get really lucky and, and really uh, decrease the amount that they're spending um, as renters. But you're not earning equity and you're not building uh, for your future. You know, our, our parents and our parents' parents had an opportunity from an early age to enter the housing market. And they've really been able to uh, build their net worth based on the equity they earn. And they're building through um, increasing housing prices. So your question is really the, the question for millennials. How do we um, also enter into this real estate market? Well, you're going to have to have some money up front to, to spend. And, um, you know, I, I do own a condo uh, in Oakland. I had a, a property in uh, South Carolina. I recently sold it to um, help pay for the wedding, but also to leverage um, a down payments uh, here for a uh, another duplex. I'm trying to house hack here in, in Oakland. 
um, that's buying the duplex, moving into one of the units and renting out the other one to um, help out with the mortgage. So you're going to need some capital. It has to um, really work well for you. So uh, sometimes you get a, a loan uh, at a 5% down payment, and that's really lucky. That, that would be ideal. So if you're going in uh, for a one-bedroom in the Bay Area, average is probably four hundred to five hundred thousand dollars um you really don't need to have too much you know if you're at five to ten percent that's that's really manageable for a millennial who has some savings um but it's the monthly payments afterwards it's the private mortgage insurance you have to do the calculations can you move in with your significant other Rachel and I, uh, because we're married and living together here, um, the mortgage, we're at 30% of our uh, combined um, uh, income. That's our housing costs. And I'm trying to figure out ways to reduce it back down to 25%. Um, but we own, we own the condo. We're, um, you know, we have a mortgage. We're, we're earning equity. So um, you have to do a lot of research and you have to get a, a, a little lucky. Yeah, you really have to weigh up the pros and the cons as well, you know, whether it's worth actually settling down. And also, like, I think we also live in an age where it's very easy to travel around, you know, and um, like, you know, of course, it's very easy to travel for work as well. So who knows, you may get transferred to another area. Do you really want to buy a house? You know, and like, I think those are all sort of considerations that go into the, um, the big pots, so to speak. But um, you, you definitely got to figure out whether it's right for you and, you know, crunch the numbers, see how much that PMR is going to be and determine whether it's worth it or not for you. I know we're like currently in a similar situation as well where we're renting and our rent is two grand a month. And, you know, you kind of look, you kind of look at that and you're like, that's insane. You know, I, I could be paying off. <laughs> it is insane. <laughs> I could be paying off like a half a million dollar house just about on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you really got to wait. The comparison that I have is San Francisco currently at a one bedroom rent. It's a uh, $3,500 a month or so. <laughs> oh, that actually makes me feel better. When we moved yeah. up here, well, when I moved up here, I owned my home. It was a townhouse. And I want to say, with my, at the time, I thought it was an outrageous HOA. With the HOA and the mortgage, it was less than $1,000. And when I moved up here to like, at the time, we had a two bedroom apartment. And Dennis was like, yeah, the rent's $2,000. And I like choked on my water. I was like, what? <laughs> You're really putting a plug in for uh, the city for millennials because this is that that's the um, the gas, the, the reaction that I had when I moved to uh, the Bay Area from living abroad and then also in the southeast. It's, these cities are really, really expensive and salaries aren't really keeping up with the increased cost of living. And how do you get ahead? It's it's really hard. <laughs> it, it is. It's, that's why you have to be all about the side hustle. Yeah, absolutely. Increasing your your um, revenue streams is really the solution. So do you think that, uh, I know we kind of touched on this already, but do you think that the relative price in cities is going up faster than the incomes are? So do you think that like deflation is almost occurring for younger people? Yeah, and in, it's in city specific. Uh, yes, the data show in some cities, um, you know, the price of living, so the housing costs, transportation costs, and food are increasing faster than salary increases. So you are seeing a deflation. Uh, but I, I'd like to go back even further. A lot of millennials or older millennials 
entered the workforce um, at a time where it, it was 2007 and then eight and then nine, uh, the great recession, uh, job availability was limited and, and um, millennials were accepting positions uh, with salaries for salaries much less than that they really were worth. And so they're starting off sort of depressed um, and maybe they've increased it over time. Maybe they're still in that same job and haven't leveraged the um their their worth and found another job to really um, uh, set it back to um, the current uh, job market. Um, so millennials were starting off in a really bad foot, starting off with tons of loans. So really, they've had a really challenging time uh, to save for their future. You're asking a question about... Um, the cost of living. So let's take Seattle, for example, 10 or eight years ago in 2010, this is from a Forbes study, household income was 60, just over $60,000. Medium uh, rents um, was at a, at a rate where the average person is spending 36% of their monthly earnings um, on housing. But fast forward a, a number of years, 2016, end of 2016, um, the uh, monthly um, Housing is around was around forty two point six percent of their um, their earnings. So yes, housing costs are increasing faster than salaries are increasing. If you are living in an expensive city, you're probably making more than someone living in rural areas or smaller cities. But you have to really consider the overall cost. So I say when you're thinking about moving to um, you know Denver and Austin, Seattle, Portland, these hot happening cities, you really got to take a look at how the um, the job market um, is 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 going and what are the uh, what's the trend for the housing market um, which is really you know you could kind of look at the housing market as what the cost of living is because um, it's the the number one cost uh, to an individual so um, yeah when you're looking to move Take a take a look at the city cost, the 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 housing costs, and if you can get a job that um, is paying a lot more, uh, say you're getting a twenty five percent of your salary, you're paying on uh, housing, that's great. Move there. Uh, if you're getting around a fifty percent of your, uh, you're spending fifty percent of your uh, income on rents, may, maybe uh, think about another option. I'm actually going to throw another curveball in there as well. Consider sure. right now that the national debt is at a sky high level and it just keeps getting worse. People get further and further into debt. And, you know, like as incomes sort of stay the same, increasing a little bit, prices of housing and your know, general costs are going up. We've also got this big debt that's amassing. It kind of makes you feel like we're headed towards another bubble or another recession. <laughs> <laughs> Definite turmoil. Uh, you're you're preaching to the choir here, man. It's the curse of the millennials, man. It's uh, they're they're have a ton of uh, student loans. They're racking up even more debts, um, and the opportunities in the future are unknown. Um, it, it it is a challenge. So. Hence the blog. I started um, getting questions from peers. Hey, you paid off your uh, student loans. How did you do this? Well, I said yes to opportunities at an early age. I uh, took risks. I um, leveraged my enthusiasm in the workplace to increase my salary there. I job hopped. You know, a great way to increase your salary is after a few years, find another um, employer that's willing to pay you 25% more. 
Um, so there's, there's a lot of ways to, uh, combat the challenges that we're faced with, but you may have to be creative and may not look, the reality may not look like you, um, hoped. Definitely. Chainers, we're just going to take a quick break and then we'll dive right back into the value link round. If you're looking for a great way to consume books, head on over to chainofwealth.com slash audible. There you can grab a free ebook so you can consume your books on the go. That's chainofwealth.com slash audible. Okay, Thomas. So I think we're all a little bit curious about this now. What can you share a little bit of your saving or retirement plans that you're doing? Because you sound like you are really on top of it. Oh, man. Uh, I wish. <laughs> well, thank you. First first off, um, I do feel very lucky uh, to have paid off my loans, to have purchased two homes, uh, two properties. Um, I am currently on the, the financial independence journey. And as we said earlier, it is about the journey, um, but it is, it is a challenging journey. So we are trying to live in a way where we're saving 50% of our incomes so or spending um, 30% of our income on housing. We're trying to save 50%. Um, when I say save, I, I mean, we're maxing out our uh, 401ks, $18,500 this year, um, that's invested in a diverse mix. Um, we're looking at alternative, alternative ways to, um, um, invest our money. Uh, I spoke about real estates. Uh, I have in the past had success with renting out, uh, being a property owner and, um, uh, being a landlord. Um, I am looking at ways to, you know, purchase a duplex and, um, have that second stream of income to cover the mortgage. Um, and the other, the unit of the duplex. I really like these crowdfunded real estate uh, companies these days. Fundrise, for example, uh, I'm pretty heavily invested in. Um, there's now a, an opportunity um, as a result of the tax law to, um, it's called the opportunity funds where you're able to decrease your tax liability. Say you sold your home um, and you have capital gains, you could put it into this opportunity fund and um, minimize your tax liability. And in 2026, it's likely you would not have to pay tax on your capital gains um, as a result of this new um, fund. So lots of new technologies that I'm, I'm interested in and investing in um, to limit that tax liability. Um, I live like a college student. <laughs> As I was saying before, we have a small one-bedroom condo. We make a combined income of you know over $220,000 a year, which sounds like a lot, but it isn't in the Bay Area. Uh, and we are having to live beneath um, maybe our standard uh, or what we would like. And we're doing this to prepare for our future, prepare for a retirement. It would be amazing to retire at 40, 45 and live the, the lean fire where you're um, traveling in a van or on a boat and spending very little um, money each month and uh, maybe not working a traditional lifestyle, traditional job. Um, so that's, that's the goal. Um, saving 50%, spending less on retirement, looking at ways to diversify your investments. Uh, if you have any more, let me know. I, <laughs> I'm excited, <laughs> to, excited to learn more. So do you have any other books or podcasts you could recommend to our listeners? 
Oh man, uh, Financial Freedom Podcast is just kicking off. Grant Sabatier, he's a great genius. Maybe not a genius. Maybe he is. I think he is. Um, but he, uh, he just, uh, he, he has some really great folks on their podcast. You know, obviously yours is number one, Channel Wealth, Financial Freedom Podcast, I'd say, uh, checkouts, um, books. I'm going to throw it to an environmental book. Um, I come from an environmental background, uh, one of sustainability. What kicked me off with this uh, um, mindset of living um, within your means is the book Silent Spring. It brings in um, the, the world around us into uh, into light using less pesticides, trying to build an environment without impacting it for future generations. We're all trying to save money. We're trying to save money for our retirement. We're trying to save money for our uh, kids' future, for our kids' kids' future, future generations. There's not going to be a place for them to live if we don't protect our environment. So um, uh, Silent Spring is the first book I read about the environment movements. And uh, that's what I'm going to recommend. Let's live within our means, guys. I feel like I have probably more recently really gotten into the environment and, you know, really been aware of like my plastic consumption and trying to cut back wherever I can. And we've really been big recyclers at home and everything. And it, it feels like if we don't do something about it now, then what is going to happen? I've read a study somewhere by like in the next for either our children or our grandchildren. I don't remember, but like every fish that they consume will have some sort of plastic that they've ingested, which is disgusting. Bioaccumulation, it's real. And uh, we spoke about oil spills and there's certainly impacts whenever there's a spill in the ocean for uh, petroleum to accumulate uh, in our, uh, ultimately our seafood that we're eating. It's, it is scary. We do have impacts to the environment. Let's figure out ways to uh, protect it, but also, you know, make money. Uh, I, I'm not about, yeah, not, not making money, but there's, there's ways to, to do both. Definitely. So do you have a favorite quote? Is it okay if I uh, share one from my mom? Uh, of course. <laughs> and, you know, this isn't, she surely got it from somewhere uh, else, but growing up, she always told me, it isn't about what others think of you, it's about what you think of others. And that really put things into perspective for me, being a child growing up, you're always concerned about your image, what people think of you, but really... When you take a step back, it's, do you like these people? Do you like what they're doing? Um, and so I kind of have tried to live my life doing what I believe in and not really concerned about what people think of, of me. It's hard to do, but it, it really has shaped the way that I have led my life and the person I've become. It's, it's about uh, focusing your energies on the, um, the things that you really like, not what other people think you should like, but what you like and the and spending your time with the people that you actually like. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> it's something my mom has shared with me and I, I would love to pass on to others. Yeah, I think that is also really good advice and keeping humble and true to yourself, which can be really tough, especially when you're a kid. Absolutely. Thomas, we've had a rocking time tonight, and we would love to know if you have any other last parting piece of advice for our listeners, and then we'll say goodbye. Uh, Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Parting piece of advice, it's about the journey, everyone. Take a step back, take a breath, and really appreciate the journey that you're on. Have patience. Your financial independence, your freedom will come. It's going to take time. It's not going to come overnight. Have fun while you're uh, trying to achieve it.
Thank you so much for having me, guys. This has been great. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, definitely. Shane, as we became out with Thomas Minter, you can check out his website. It's sissyformillennials.com. And definitely think about your impact and like what you're leaving in the world. It's going to make a major difference, if not for you, for your kids and your grandkids. Kate, I had such a fun time chatting with Thomas. Yeah, that was a really good interview. So I also wanted to remind everybody to remember to submit your tweet of the weeks at Chain of Wealth on Twitter, or you could email me at info at chainofwealth.com. I guess that sounded kind of weird. You almost forgot our email address there, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Info at chainofwealth.com. And... Yeah, that's all I have. Awesome. And we'll catch you on the flip side, Chainers. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 